Well, at this time, our elementary school kids are dismissed to their classes. Middle and high school students, you get to stay in here with us today. Hope everybody is enjoying this beautiful springtime weather. Another glimpse of a, a blessing, as Kimberly was mentioning. Well, recently I've been listening to a leadership podcast that was giving all kinds of different tips about kind of how to you know, maximize your leadership and how to live a more just productive life. And so um, one of the things that I learned was that good leaders don't press the snooze button. Did you know this? I was pressing the snooze button at least once or twice a day. So I, on Friday, I decided this was going to be the day, the first day that I was going to jump out of bed without pushing snooze. I actually had my day all planned out. It was going to be a productive day. So sure enough, I jump out of bed, pass up the opportunity to snooze, start my morning routine with my coffee. I'm feeling good about the day. I go off to have a meeting with somebody from Kairos. All is going according to plan until I arrive home and my normally very calm husband greets me at the door with a shout, come inside! He has this look of panic on his face. I'm going, what could I possibly go on inside? I walk in downstairs to discover that our basement is completely flooded with sewage water that is actively pouring in. I mean, at such an extent, we've had a flood before, but it's like the, the creek is rising. So needless to say, what do you think, how do you think we responded? Of course, you know, because we're pastors, we you know, immediately held hands took a deep breath, and offered a prayer. No. We, like crazy people, start running around grabbing things, and it's just a complete and utter frenzy until I'm like, should one of us call the insurance company? Should we call a plumber? What do we do? You know, so a couple hours of this all goes on. We discover it's actually worse than we thought. It's a sewer main, so now we have to call the city. And so, anyway, it's a long thing. My plan for the day was after I came home from my meeting to sit down and write the rest of my sermon on prayer. So um, after a couple hours of all this craziness, it uh, dawned on me, oh wait, I still have the rest of that sermon to write on prayer, and hey, maybe I should even pray about this situation, for, if not for anything, but a little bit of peace and calm and patience for the road ahead. Good news is remediation has come, our house is clean, and it will be a little bit of time to put it all back together, but um, it is not a, a complete disaster at, as of this point. But I don't know about you, but prayer is not always my natural response when life goes awry and not according to plan. If you're anything like me, sometimes we tend to freak out first and then go, oh, maybe this is something I should be praying about. For some of us, praying can feel a little bit like learning a foreign language. Maybe sometimes we're not even sure what we're supposed to pray. We're not, we sometimes can't find the words. We know what we feel, but we're like, how do I articulate this to the Lord? For others, maybe your struggle with prayer comes from just a hectic schedule. And sometimes we find it hard to carve out that we know we want to pray. We know it's important, but finding that time to carve out space to connect with the Lord can be difficult. For others, maybe some of our struggles with prayer comes from something even deeper. Maybe in the past we've prayed for something and we didn't receive the answer the way we wanted. Maybe we're in the middle of something that we've been praying for and it just seems like those prayers are going into the abyss and we sometimes wonder, God, do you, do you hear? Do you care about what 
I'm dealing with? And sometimes in these times, we might start to wonder, does, does prayer really even make any difference? Why should we pray? Well, today, we're in a series on the parables that, we are called, that is called Learning from Jesus the Storyteller. And today, we're going to learn from Jesus about prayer. And one of the simplest answers to the question, why pray, which is actually a very difficult question, is we pray because Jesus did. And if we want to be people who follow in the way of Jesus, we see that Jesus prioritized prayer. It was incredibly important to him. He often retreated and got time away, would get up early in the morning and spend time alone with his Heavenly Father. We see it's what fueled his ministry. It's what gave him the ability to discern God's will for his life. And Jesus also taught about the importance of prayer. He told us we should do it. He taught us how to do it. And so, while there are still, it doesn't answer all of our questions, we start with prayer simply to become more like Jesus. Well, we see in the series on parables, Jesus actually taught three parables on prayer. Pam talked about one of them last week when the um, tax collector prayed, Lord, have mercy on me. And today we're going to turn to a passage from Luke chapter 11, where um, Jesus teaches his disciples first the Lord's Prayer and then a parable. But I wanted us to pick up with the passage right before the parable because I think it's important for us to understand the context. That it's actually Jesus' disciples who ask him to teach them how to pray. I find that so interesting that prayer, didn't, it didn't come naturally for them. And so if you feel that way, that sometimes like, I need somebody to teach me how to do this. I need to learn more about it. This seems to be true from the disciples. It seems to be true from spiritual writers and people who have practiced prayer throughout the ages. That prayer is something that we always need to learn more about. I also find it fascinating that this is the only thing recorded in Scripture that we see the disciples asking Jesus to teach them. Think about that for a moment. Of all the things they saw Jesus do, they didn't ask him, teach us how to do miracles, how to turn water into wine, how to heal people, how to teach, how to stand up to the religious leaders. No, they asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. So with that in mind, let's turn to Luke chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight, and say, Friend, loan me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on the journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of the friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, I want to stop for a second, that word shameless audacity sometimes is also translated as boldness or perseverance. Because of his shameless audacity, his boldness and perseverance, he will surely get up 
and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Well, Pam last week told us that the word parable means literally to throw alongside something. So Jesus is throwing a story alongside a spiritual truth that he wants us to learn. And parables are typically stories that contain some kind of surprising element. Often it's a reversal, where it's the opposite of what you think. So to understand the kind of surprising element of the story, we need to know a little bit about the hospitality culture in the Middle East at the time. We here in the South, we're known for our hospitality culture, aren't we? When I first moved here from California, it was noticeable just how different and how friendly and warm and welcoming the people here are. Well, the, the hospitality culture in uh, the Middle East was not simply just being nice to others. It was a cultural norm and even expectation when visitors came to your house that you were expected, didn't matter what hour of the day they came, to feed them and, and bring them into your home and offer them a place to stay. And during that time, it, it was often very warm during the day. You imagine they're traveling by foot or donkey or camel. So people would often wait until the sunset to then set out on their journey. So it would not be uncommon to get a knock on your door in the middle of the night, open the door and have to welcome someone into your home. So we might think at first glance, well, the surprising element is the knock at midnight. My neighbors, the Murrays, they're in the back there. They have heard a knock on the door a few times when I need to borrow an egg or a cup of flour for a recipe that I'm trying to make. Yes, we borrow things from our neighbors, you know, but usually I, I can't imagine there'd be any circumstance other than a complete emergency where I'd be over knocking on their door at midnight to ask to borrow something. But in that culture, you can see that, yes, you would go do that because of this, um, this expectation to show hospitality to someone else. But what is the surprising element of the story is the response of the neighbor. No one would expect the neighbor to say, go away. And what makes this even more ludicrous is to know a little bit about their homes. At this time, they would, they would all be staying in one room. Each home would contain one room. So the whole family would be asleep together in the common area. So when the guy gives the excuse, go away, I've put my children to bed, you know, I can't help you. What's a little bit interesting is, don't you think the whole family would have already been woken up with a guy knocking on the door? They've had a conversation. <laughs> He's saying, can I borrow bread? I'm sure everyone is already awake. So it, it would be ridiculous then for the moment for the guy to say, sorry, I can't help you, rather than just hand his friend a loaf the loaves of bread that he's been asked for. So Jesus' hearers would actually probably be laughing as he's telling the story because it's this hyperbole. It's this ridiculous comparison. No one would ever do that if somebody came to you with this sort of need. This is what is called a parable of contrast. Jesus tells a story to illustrate that God is not like 
that cranky neighbor who is annoyed by our requests. God will never do that. He doesn't just keep the door shut when we come knocking. The first lesson that Jesus teaches us about prayer is that the God we pray to has the heart of a good and loving father. And he uses this, this again, example of, of hyperbole, saying, parents, which of you, if your kid asked for fish, or maybe our kids would ask us for chicken nuggets, which one of you would then give them a snake instead? If your kid asks you for an egg, for something to eat, it's going to give them a scorpion. Again, this imagery might evoke some laughter. No one's going to hand their kids something that's going to harm them when they're asking for food. Jesus, he's, he's scratching at something much deeper in this parable of contrast. He's contrasting the nature of earthly parents who do their best to provide for their kids with God. And he says the comparison gap is so big, it's as though we are evil in comparison to God's good and generous nature. And even when we sing songs like Good Father and hear sermons about what God is like, Sometimes it's hard to move our understanding of God and our experience to move that knowledge from our head to our heart, where we really feel it and where we believe it. And when we do, it opens this, this channel of communication with this good and loving Father who we know cares about our needs big and small. There's nothing too small in your life that God doesn't care about. And he certainly cares about the big things as well. And sometimes, if we've maybe had times of prayer, or, or maybe in the past, maybe we've, there's been a time where we've prayed for something, and honestly, we just didn't get the answer that we were wanting. And it can cause us to question God's goodness, can't it? Where we start to have this distorted picture that God is really a God who wants to hand out snakes and scorpions when we turn to him in prayer. And it can be hard to wrestle through that. How do we reconcile our experiences, or maybe even disappointments in prayer, with what Jesus is teaching, that the true nature of our God is a good and loving Father who always wants to give us what is best for us. And so when we recognize this nature of, of Jesus, it leads us to the second, um, the, to the nature of God, it leads us to Jesus' second lesson. He says, not only do we pray to a good and loving Father, but Jesus teaches us that prayer requires perseverance. Remember that word? Shameless audacity, boldness, perseverance. That if Jesus wants to teach us one thing, it's that prayer is something we need to do continuously. He tells us to ask and to seek and to knock. And in the original language, it would be more obvious that this is a continuous action that Jesus is encouraging. In fact, a better translation might be something like this. Keep on asking and you will receive. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. And Jesus promises that the door will always be opened. The good and loving Father will always hear our requests and will answer us. I will give one caveat. The answer isn't always exactly what we want, is it? Answers can sometimes be no. Or God can sometimes give us something a little bit different. And certainly the timetable in which we're asking can sometimes vary. But if it doesn't seem that God is answering yet, perhaps this is a moment where we are being encouraged to persevere, 
to remember the goodness of God and to turn to God for strength as we pray. And if we take Jesus at his word, this parable is here to teach us that we will receive an answer and that Jesus knows that sometimes we just need encouragement to keep on praying, to keep presenting our needs to God and to keep turning to God for strength. I want us to look again at the end of this passage that we just read, the end of verse 13 in Luke, and we're going to compare it with the parallel passage where this, in the Gospel of Matthew, the same parable is told, or the same ask, seek, and knock passage. In Luke um, verse 13, it says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Look ahead in Matthew 7. It says, again, How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Isn't that interesting? Luke tells us he's, we're going to get the Holy Spirit. Matthew tells us that we're going to get good gifts. How do we reconcile those two? Well, I would say that both are true at the same time. Jesus says that the loving Father who answers our prayers is either going to give us a good gift, maybe not the exact gift we've asked for, but a good gift, or he's going to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the gift of himself. He's going to give us his loving and abiding presence with us, no matter what we face. He promises to open the door and give us a good gift and give him, give us his very presence. Well, the third and final lesson that Jesus teaches his disciples is that prayer begins to expand our focus. Prayer helps us see beyond just our own needs to the needs of others around us as well. Something I want you to notice, I don't know if you've noticed this before, did you notice that the Lord's Prayer that we've been given is given to us in the first person plural? meaning we don't pray, my Father in heaven, give me this day my daily bread. We're taught to pray, our Father in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. We're encouraged, yes, we're encouraged to bring our needs to the Lord. Paul in the, um, the letter of Philippians tells us not to be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition to bring our requests to God. We absolutely should feel free and called to pray for our own needs. But Jesus reminds us that prayer is more than just for ourselves. We should also be praying for others. We should be praying for God's kingdom and his purposes in our world. We pray God's kingdom come, your will be done. And sometimes I wonder if we're in one of those places where we feel a little bit stuck in prayer. Maybe you've been praying for something for a long time and you're just not quite feeling that the Lord is answering that prayer. Sometimes that might be the very moment where turning your focus a bit outward and starting to pray for some needs beyond your own can begin to ignite your prayer life, to begin to see how God is at work in our world, how God is at work caring for the needs of people around us. And it can give us not only just a new motivation to pray, but also a call to persevere, to persevere on behalf of somebody else that you know that is struggling. 
And so I encourage you, think of somebody right now. Who is somebody right now who might need some prayer? What's going on in our world where you could begin to commit with that sort of boldness and perseverance to continue to pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? And guess what? I wonder if in those prayers you're going to begin to connect a little bit with the heart of God again and start to catch glimpses of the ways that he is answering and caring for those around you that then will also give you that encouragement to keep persevering in prayer on behalf of yourself as well. Well, to give you an example of how I have experienced this, as some of you may have known, over the past couple years, I've had a number of different health challenges that have, some have come and some have gone. Some have had some seasons of chronic pain. Sometimes the doctors aren't quite sure what we're supposed to do. And in addition to it being very uncomfortable and painful, it also can be tremendously discouraging when you just don't have answers and your prayers seem to be just kind of falling on deaf ears. And I would be lying to say there haven't been moments where I felt discouraged or going, God, are you hearing? Is this going to ever change? But do you know the one thing that I've begun to discover that really has carried me through these seasons has been the faithful people who have committed to pray for me. Some of them are right here in this room today. I have some good friends as well who check in, who pray, who remind me that their prayers remind me that God cares. And what I've learned from them, and several of them are going through their own challenges, and they're praying for me, is that as you band together, as you commit to praying for other people, sometimes your prayers become that encouragement and reminder that God cares about them. That we have the ability as a community to remind each other of the goodness of God, to remind them of his loving heart, to persevere in prayer on behalf of one another, which is why we find those times of community prayer can be so meaningful and powerful and something that people often say really makes them feel a part of this community, to hear what's going on in each other's lives and know that there's going to be people around you who are going to support you in the journey, no matter what you face. And so I wonder today, well, if the challenge for us is to begin to think of prayer in this Our Father sort of way. Yes, bring your needs before the Lord, but also bring the needs of the people around you to God in prayer. And watch the ways that we begin to see these answers. So who will you be praying for? What will you commit to asking for God to do in our world? Let's be people who persevere in prayer for each other and watch how the Lord opens that door to give us good gifts and the gift of the Holy Spirit, his abiding presence that promises to be with us no matter what we face. We pray with me. Lord, we know that prayer can be hard. It can be hard to be in those places where we haven't quite yet received the answer that we are longing for. Yet you remind us that prayer is powerful, that it's effective, that it helps us know who you are, and ultimately it connects us to your heart. And so, Lord, I pray today for anyone who's in that place of discouragement that you would remind them that you see and that you hear, and Lord, that you um, have the power to do something about the things that are going on in our lives. And Lord, and would you um, just remind us to pray for those around us, to be a community that cares, that lifts each other up, 
and knows that we can trust you in all these things. We pray these things in Christ's name.